Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm glad you're joining me in my kitchen today. And my co-host, Chef Jamie Larita, is in his, is in his kitchen. And we thought that it would be really special and important to bring to you the perspective of what's going on in the restaurant industry during these challenging times. And uh, a dear friend and uh, several time guest on Kitchen Chat, Donnie Medea, is with us today. Donnie is the co-founder of One Off Hospitality Group, an outstanding uh, group of restaurants here in Chicago. And he is such a visionary and is so well respected in the industry. And he's going to share with us from his perspective and that of the restaurateurs and and restaurant industry, how how things are going. So welcome to Kitchen Chat, Donnie. Hello, Margaret. Hello, Jamie. How are you? I'm so thankful. Um, I'm doing okay, staying healthy, staying happy, and staying hopeful. Donnie, it's really nice to have you and hear you on the phone. And I just wanted to ask you personally, how's things going with you? Every time I welcome friends or say hello to people on the phone, that's my opening. It's like a handshake almost, right, Jamie mm-hmm. and, and Margaret? It's like, how are you? Because people are, are they're endearing, um, whether it's in, in the uncertain times we live in or in our hospitable ways, um, always saying hello to people. It's like, how are you? And, and it's endearing. It's sincere. And I'm glad that you asked. I'm staying positive. My wife and I are uh, hunkered down. So our son is seven. He's in first grade. So we're doing live feeds from our school and they're sending homework and, and he's <clears throat> joining Zooms, um, meetings with uh, some classmates and his teachers. So, you know, that's a great activity uh, to see um, your child learning and also helping as well as you know, his curiosity on a 24-hour basis. (laughs) It's so good to hear your voice, Donnie, truly. And the last time we had a kitchen chat was, uh, I guess, almost two years ago in the Viking showroom with Jamie. And I loved the, the theme of that kitchen chat. It was about the art of collaboration. And you truly are an incredible collaborator. And I know those fine skills of yours are being put to such great use right now uh, for what the restaurant industry is facing. If you can kind of give us an update and what I know our listeners really want to learn too is what can they be doing? I mean, the hospitality industry has been there for all of us during um, so many so many moments of our lives and and we want to be there for that community so if you can also share with us how we can help well i've been fortunate and lucky from a collaboration standpoint having friends around the country come together three fridays ago 
it was Andrew Chasen from CAA reached out to me and asked Paul and I to join a phone call with Tom Colicchio, Andrew Zimmern, uh, Will Gadara, and some other chef and restaurant owners from around the country. I believe at the time that call, there might have been 12 people on it. And right now, yesterday, there is around 500 chefs and owners in the peripheral. But on the main call that we have every day, there's 80 of us. And when it comes down to collaboration, within one day, we funded a lobbyist and hired a lobbyist mm-hmm. thanks to our friendships and in DC, thanks to Tom Clicchio, um, um for his outreach. And then a friend of ours, Sam Katz, who was the chef of the White House uh, under the Obama uh, administration for eight years. He worked in the business. He was a, a chef. He cooked. Um, he helped us for a couple of years at a back early on in the um, mid-20s. Um, so 2005, 2006, before he left to go to D.C. So with Sam's help um, and some friendships with uh, Chase, Visa, American Express, and the James Beer Foundation, we raised enough money to um, fund a lobbyist. The collaboration, my business partners here in Chicago, and then our and then our, also our, our friends like Kevin Payne mm-hmm. uh, from both the Bobcats, Joe King, some really great operators and chefs, Jason Hamill. We have a national outreach with uh, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And then we have our um, unbelievable Sam Toya and Mary K. Bonoma from the Illinois Restaurant Association working tirelessly for all the independent restaurants and other restaurant groups in Chicago, helping shape the bill, which is a really important factor that we've uh, set a course of action to do. Give you a really important case study nationally and locally. Yes. And and how is everything? I mean, it's a hard question to ask, but how is everything? We had about eight days there where we had six restaurants opened and we had a beautiful initiative. What was important was the safety of our, our staff members. So that one week we fed, I don't know, a thousand plus people, not just in, uh, one-off employees, but all employees from Chicago that can come in and take food home and a bag of groceries. This is on the um, sponsorship of uh, the Lee Initiative and um, Maker's Mark. And I, I think it was really something that we really loved to do and want to get back to once we can reopen. So, um, yeah, we broke our heart to say to close everything and it broke our heart to not be a part of the re-initiative, but, um, I will come back. We want to make sure that our staff is safe and, and we can operate again. It's really interesting, Donnie, to see how, you know, all of these chefs and all of your partners and restaurants are, this is something that, nobody was prepared for obviously nobody really prepared for it but it is something to think about in future how the world is going to change you know and i know i know you're a deep thinker just like most chefs and restaurateurs are very futuristic in mindset what goes through your mind for the future when this does change does it reshape the business and and how do you think getting back to normal 
or as the new normal, what do you think some of the changes or a change might be to the restaurant industry in general? I think the latter part of that question has to do with occupancy, right? And how does occupancy, what will the mandate be from the city on occupancy? A lot of small restaurants operate in a small footprint. Mm. Some are 2,000, 2,500 square feet. So 30% of the restaurant is is a kitchen and the, and the other 70% is the dining room. What does the dining room look like at four feet of occupancy? I don't know that we're going to come back at 100% or 90% or 80% occupancy. I mean, that would be the dream scenario, right? Blackbird is... It seats 67 on the first floor, eight bar stools, and then uh, the, the balance of the dining room is 61 seats. So what is that now? Is that instead of 61, is that 30 seats and four bar stools? Is there three feet in between each guest? So what we're doing is we're modeling what 40, 50, 60% looks like when we reopen. So I think most operators around the country are modeling what those P&Ls look like. My expertise is more in the front of the house. I, I gravitate right towards what does an occupancy look like from that standpoint. But Jamie, you're absolutely right. Like at Blackbird, we have five people behind the line. On a busy night, we have two uh, finishing on the, on the opposite side of the dining room. So the plates, we're, we're plating up the food gets passed to the chef or, or the chef de cuisine or the sous chef, and then he finishes the dish, right? And then the runners come and they take it. But what's really interesting to your point is, like, Blackbird is such a small kitchen. I think it's 14, 16 feet long by 10 feet deep from the outside of the dining room. So the, the way that saute and damage is set up, how do they even work? And they brush each other. They touch each mm-hmm. other to, to prepare dishes and, and plant dishes. So I, I think Danny Meyer said it best when he was asked early on, are you going to antiquate towards to go and keep your kitchens open? And Danny's response was, I don't know how to operate in six feet. Mm. And he meant that in regards to his kitchens, like my kitchens, how, how does any kitchen operate at six feet? You don't. Yeah, that's true. And it's true that, you know, working in many, many kitchens myself, Donnie, it's like behind you has a whole new meeting, you know, it's like literally you're on top of each other and and the the words behind you in the restaurant industry literally means that somebody is directly in your path and now it, it really changes the game. Wow. Donnie, do you think this might have an impact in terms of looking at an increase of these so-called ghost kitchens, where kitchens are, you know, outsourced in in the medium term, uh, in terms of being able to accommodate to go? Is that something a lot of the restaurants are looking at from that perspective? I think ghost kitchens are something that everyone's thinking about. I, I also believe that the kitchens that we already own and we have uh, leases on, mm-hmm. we're going to retool those. And we've already had this thought process for public and quality meats and Big Star. Avec already has a business plan together, catering as well. So not just catering for onesies and twosies for your home, 
but also catering for, for offices. An app is really important, so our app for PQM and Blackbird will be rolled out in the next three weeks. Those apps are tested in those two, um, with those two brands. Then we're going to use it for a vac and doves and, and the other, in the other restaurants. Hmm. We've had these conversations as well that to extend hospitality is to own your own hospitality. And how do you do that? Well, maybe it's a vertical decision from the kitchen, the food is there, and then it's, it's bagged up, and then maybe a few of our restaurants might own their own delivery service. Maybe we deliver with from in-house. Yes. So, uh, I was thinking that even food trucks these days, or even though the idea of a food truck was something different two or three weeks ago, a big star food truck that people know that restaurant, and then you were to allocate like this food truck to be in this area, and then people can come out and go, oh, wow, there's a big, you know, there's a big star food truck on my corner, I'm going to go and maybe they weren't planning on doing, you know, the takeout, but the idea of that, the, that this truck was in this location where they would have prepared food just ready to go right off the truck and would be that easy. It's in the process of being legalized so we can cook and serve prepared food on both. So it, it's in our mindset. It's another attachment. Mm. How that looks after we get through this. It'll be another interesting thought, how we execute. I also think that coming out of this, what is catering and what does PDR look like? What does catering and private dining look like hmm. from the aspects of restaurants that have catering and also have, have private dining spaces? So there, you know, it's a fluid situation that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think the solutions are very fluid as well. And there's going to be a lot of research and development in regards to not just brick and mortar, but how to become more fluid and, and take your brand on the road. I did a lot of guerrilla catering in my lifetime on the road for lots of these, you know, uh, movie sets and, you know, rock and roll catering backstage where we would literally be cooking off of uh, a major food truck. But I thought of like almost like a bed of a tractor trailer where you can like, <laughs> park up and like really serve a lot of people and then even setting up tables that were like social distance enough where people can sit down in an open field. Two key points uh, I just want to elaborate on. One is it's so great that a lot of the restaurants are providing carry out, but I think it's important too for the listeners to understand that, uh, the, you know, it doesn't all go back to the restaurant because it really takes a bite out of what your PNL looks like as well, right? Because those delivery services are taking a big chunk. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a few friends of mine that are in the pizza business and a lot of pizzerias are going back to the old school process of having employees or subcontractors, drivers with their own insurance mm-hmm. um, deliver instead of third party. Because, again, how do you extend the hospitality when it's not in your hands? Right, right. Let's say, let's say that 10% of our business right now is delivery. Maybe it becomes 10% in the next 12 to 24 months or even larger than that. Why, why I mean, I want to really be careful putting my delicious food with our delicious product from, from our amazing farmers 
in the hands of a third party. No disrespect to the third party, but I I believe what's important is you you mentioned the P&L, and and when you come back to work and you're at 40 or 50% occupancy, you're fighting for every penny, not dollar any longer. The next comment that I want to make is as important as all of these line items. Like, we now know how fragile the restaurant business is, right? Yes. We employ somewhere in the area of 15 million, 15 million people. We're 4% of the GDP, and we drive almost a trillion dollars of revenue nationally, not globally, but nationally. Wow. So we employ 15 million people. Just think about that. Mm. In order for us to get this forgiveness portion of this grant, we have to bring 90% of our staff members back. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how any other restaurant owner or chef is going to do that when they're operating at, well, first of all, we don't even know when we can operate. Right. So if we get the loan, if we, get the loan we have 10 days to the clock starts ticking to bring back 90%. Well, when is that? In Delaware, Washington, and Maryland, it's June 2nd. Here in Chicago, it's supposed to be April 30th. Well, I know on on a happy note, and the the other point I wanted to go back to is you had mentioned a special app that is going to be available. So if you can share with us about this app and when our foodie friends can find it and where they can find it. Download the app and then go right to the app and order your your sandwiches from PQM or your tacos from, from Big Star. And you can either pick them up, we can have those delivered for you we're refining this this app right now and it, it goes to test in the next two weeks so it, it's an exciting time for those two restaurants and if they if this app works next next step would be is we roll it out into avec doves our our um and our other locations oh well that not that's blackbird unfortunately but <laughs> like a different a different restaurant oh well, I'd love to know on a personal note, Donnie, how is it in, you know, the shelter in place for you and, and your family? Uh, what are the meals that are being prepared? Are you jumping into the kitchen? Uh, what, what does your kitchen, what is your kitchen like these days? <laughs> oh, well, what was great, the first 10 days we were here, I would run back to Chicago and pick up bread from Greg Wade's bakery and those beautiful Schlegel Farm chickens. So Bronson and I are in really good shape. So Estelle's a great cook, my wife, and um, she is cooking again. The last time we chatted, we brought it up that she's plant-based, so a lot of vegetables. Last night she did scallops um, on the grill (laughs) and and vegetables, and then I just happened to be in Chicago because I took a couple meetings uh, via Zoom yesterday at my office. It felt great to be back in the office. Yes. So I stopped at Diamato's and picked up some bread, some eggplant parmesan, and cookies and some picacha. <laughs> Brought all of that home, and we had a feast. Oh. <laughs> with the scallops. 
<laughs> that is great. Such a special time with family and finding the joy yeah. through through all of this. Thank you so much, Donnie and Jamie, for for being in my kitchen virtually today. And uh, as we all know, the kitchen is truly the heart of the home and the heart of the world. And we're all in this together right now. This season will pass. I just encourage everyone who's listening, if you need help, please reach out to someone. You're not going through this alone. There are people, resources out there for you. Please just stay encouraged and know that you are loved. And I just am so grateful to you, Donnie and Jamie, for for being on the show. Thank you. If anybody, if any of your listeners want to get involved, go to saverestaurants.com. That's saverestaurants.com. Then you'll find all about what the Independent Restaurant Coalition is doing. And if you're a Chicagoan or you live in Illinois, go on the Illinois Restaurant Association's website, see what Sam and Mary Kay are doing for our beautiful city. Yes. And um, if you want to get involved, I'm sure you can get involved with them as well, and or at least be updated on what great work they're doing as well. Wonderful. And we'll make sure that we have both of those links on the website. But thank you so much. And thank you, dear foodie friends, for tuning in. Stay encouraged. Stay hopeful. Stay happy. Stay healthy. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.